What is up, everyone? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where twice a week together, powered by Waxman, we get to dive deep into the true heart of Bitcoin and crypto, understanding how this movement truly came to be. And we talk to some amazing guests, folks who are pioneering, trailblazing this crazy industry, just like I did starting in 2010 during the last days of Satoshi. Oh man, what a crazy ride it's been. It's been so much fun putting together this episode because I felt like over the last couple of weeks, I want to like talk to people and rediscover the value of that, what it is, Bitcoin and crypto. You know, it's like sometimes I feel like lately people don't understand what decentralization is and why it's important. So our first guest joining us today is Rich Rines from the Core DAO. He sets the stage by discussing how his organization is leveraging the principles of Bitcoin to create a decentralized and distributed network from the start. He's going to introduce us to the concept of Satoshi Plus, a very unique consensus algorithm that embodies the true spirit of Bitcoin's decentralization, while also harnessing the power of Ethereum's scalability. Next, we're going to transition into the world of app chains and interchain technology with Avril Dothier from Neutron. He highlights how Neutron is democratizing access and enabling seamless interoperability between different cryptos and blockchains. So you can move data and transactions from one chain to the other without losing decentralization and staying true to the principles of Bitcoin and crypto. Finally, uh, what a great guest. We're going to conclude with Dr. Ben Chang from NodeReal. He brings a unique perspective, teaches us what a layer three is through understanding what layer twos and even what layer ones are. Understanding the challenges and opportunities of onboarding new businesses into Web3. He empathizes the importance of understanding and adapting to this new paradigm that we're going through right now, highlighting how NodeReal is facilitating this transaction. He explains the importance of understanding and adapting to this new paradigm, understanding how NodeReal is facilitating this transition while keeping the core values of Bitcoin and crypto at the forefront. Look guys, through these conversations, a common theme emerges power of Bitcoin and crypto to redefine value, foster innovation, and create a more inclusive and equitable digital future. This episode is a testament to the transformative potential of Bitcoin and crypto, and a call to action for all of us to participate in this exciting journey. This episode, more importantly, it's a reminder that despite the market fluctuations and the noise, the true value of Bitcoin and crypto remains as potent as ever. And we're talking about developer tools. We're talking about the decentralized autonomous organizations that have tens of thousands of community members that are participating actively. And there are dozens, if not hundreds, of these communities around the world today. Uh, we've been talking to a couple of them, but there's so many more I'm really excited we're talking to Core DAO today. Core DAO, and you guys, I'm really excited. We've kind of been going back to this theme that despite a couple of years of pretty turbulence in the price and the markets, if you just look at the developer activity, the wallet activity, the growth of different projects, how we've ingrained ourselves inside all sorts of different industries that have existed for hundreds of years, we're like slowly creeping in, like we're slowly changing how things are done, re-democratizing people. I read that over the last like 10 years, the amount of equality we've had around the world has greatly enhanced. 
and the, the Gini coefficient of the, the wealth inequality has gone down. And I do attribute a lot of that to our crypto industry. Rich Rhines, you're, you're the, one of the initial contributors of CoreDAO. Do you, do you what do you think about that? Do you think that our industry over the last couple of years, last 10 years, has greatly contributed to, to, to the global? I mean, do you, the people that work within your ecosystem, it doesn't matter where they are, right? Or who they are or anything about them. Yeah, you're, you're totally correct, Charlie, that I, I, crypto has been this you know, amazing force for good, at least in some of these concentrated areas like the, goal, like the global south. But, but there's still so much room to run there. When you think about just you know, the amount of folks in the world that have ever interacted with you know, a blockchain, it's, it's a small fraction. And, and I do think that arc of you know, adoption, whether it's from the developer side or from you know, the actual you know, real world use case side, there's just so much incredible opportunity in front of us. And you've almost developed so like the way the way the world was run before and why I love coming and I always bring this topic up when we talk to someone who's part of like a huge DAO is is I love bringing up this topic because I feel like this specific subset of crypto has uh, you guys have have changed kind of how the way the world works and runs and it's more about like job security and not being part of this gig economy anymore where the internet was like yeah you can participate in an internet economy. But you couldn't have like a full-time job on the internet. Remote work, COVID, that has changed a lot. But I think being part of, of these DAOs and like also ecosystems like, for example, the Ethereum or the Cosmos or the Bitcoin ecosystem has changed that. And my point that I'm getting to here is that it, it used to be that it mattered who you are, where you are, what you look like, different things about you that people would judge you initially based on that. And by working within all these ecosystems, all of those like qualifiers kind of disappear. I think that's that's also largely correct. I think again, we're in the beginning kind of of, of, of this wave, but but I do think, and this is you know one of the amazing parts of just blockchain technology generally, is just this permissionless innovation. Anyone can participate. Yeah. We're, 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 we're a series of like hexadecimal addresses, right? Like it's just a totally different, you know, in, as you use the word, I think democratizing force. And, and again, it, it's going to be pretty interesting to watch that prol proliferate more and more. Again, we've only seen the beginnings of this with COVID. But when I think about the, the core community itself, it's all over the world, right? It's there are these massive pockets all over the place. And it's just so exciting to see these hotspots of innovation, not just, you know, in our community, but, yeah. but in the communities that are forming everywhere. So let's talk about what's going on here. You're, you're one of the initial contributors to CoreDAO, uh, an independent blockchain combining the decentralization and security of Bitcoin. You guys call it like Satoshi Plus, with the scalability and application platform of Ethereum. And you guys at the same time are rebuilding your own decentralized exchanges. You're rebuilding, you're having your own infrastructure. I'm curious about your de decentralized consensus mechanism because I like to study that. I'm like a big geek on different types of consensus algorithms. And I had not heard about this up until we started doing the research of this show. So I'm really excited. You also ran, a, you're the CEO of a, a contact center software company called AutoReach. You also worked at Coinbase and, and led money movements engineering for three years. Very cool, because that's like a big, a big part of crypto is how money moves. Tell me the story. I mean, tell me the story of Cordell. Yeah, so, so, so happy to give you the, the, the kind of background of, of Cordell. So, when you mentioned, you know, uh, like our consensus uh, mechanism, you know, Satoshi Plus, it really was was a, a different look at, you know, kind of crypto as a whole. And it actually started between a debate between an Ethereum maxi and a Bitcoin maxi, you know, several years yeah. ago. 
And instead of getting into a war that, you know, it was unsolvable, it was actually this, you know, kind of this nice alignment that, hey, actually, there's some benefits to both sides here, right? There's this amazing, the most decentralized network that's out there in Bitcoin, and there's this amazing compute platform in the EVM on the Ethereum side. What if there was kind of this smashing together, you know, the best properties of each? And that's how Satoshi Plus was born. And it's a hybridization of delegated proof of stake and then proof of work. And the proof of work is Bitcoin powered. And that was really kind of the, the build a better mousetrap part of, you know, Core DAO and the Core Network. However, there were also quite a few other, you know, differences of, of how Core came into being. One of which was that the project was entirely self-funded. And this was a direct reaction to what we've seen primarily, you know, in L1 space since 2017 or so where most of these networks were largely investor-owned from yeah. launch, there was kind of this adversarial relationship to a degree between mm-hmm. the investors and the users. So Core took a very different approach where it wanted the initial token holders to be users so that these users could participate from day one. And that was, again, quite different from what we saw in the space. On top of that, it was also, if you look at kind of a taxonomy of the, of the blockchains, of most major blockchains, there are these amazing technological innovations, but there's no users. Yeah. And like you, you've built something interesting, but if there's no users, how are you going to penetrate, you know, the billions of people out there that we know crypto can help, right? So Core went through this community building initiative to ensure that at launch, there was this large audience that would initially participate in the airdrop and then become the first users of these decentralized applications. And if you look at our Twitter, our Discord, et cetera, you can see these large numbers of participants from all over the world. And that's really one of the big differentiators. It's not just the, technolo- the technological innovations that separate. It's also this very tight and very large community. Um, so very, very, very approach. Okay, so I want to pause there for a second. Don't forget where you are because I want to continue the story. But what you just did and what I love doing is you took a problem that had existed on, like you said, so many blockchain network launches. And you took the biggest lesson from that, which is how do you focus on wide range distribution from the start? You said you focus on your airdrop, you focus on making sure there was enough people, huge distribution, huge social media followings, huge reach. And that's because what we learned was in this like path to decentralization or path to just, you know, to be over that like that point of no return where you're so decentralized and so distributed that all over the world that it doesn't matter. You're like above anyone stopping you at this point, I should say. To get there, you can't just launch and be like a VC blockchain and hope for the best, you need to be as widely distributed from the start. Couldn't agree anymore. And it's, it's again, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, it's there's so much left for crypto to do and for, you know, to, to really get crypto to the mass adoption that, you know, people like yourself and I, you know, really want to see, you have to have this very large and very dispersed community. And it's, again, getting crypto into the hands of the place where it can be the most beneficial, whether that's dynamic governments, unstable currencies, and any of those spots. Again, kind of harkening back to like the original Bitcoin, you know, mantra and ethos from, you know, the 2009 days, right? And, and it's kind of going back to some of those initial viewpoints and trying to get back into that versus just who can build the most scalable blockchain. And that's, of course, very important. It's something that will help unlock mass adoption. But you can't forget the decentralized ethos. That's so critical. And, and when you think about you know, the blockchain trilemma, that's been the spot that's been kind of kicked yeah. to the side, you know, primarily over the last, you know, let's say five or so years. And from our point of view, that again is just the, the very beginning of the bedrock of what you need to build upon, if you will. I always touch on the, the blockchain trilemma. What is that for the new listeners? 
So the blockchain trilemma is is it's often depicted as a triangle, and it's the trade-offs between being optimally centralized, optimally secure, and then scalable. And it's the trilemma because it's you know to have one, you have to take away from the other, only pick two or three, kind of like a cap theorem thing. So it depends on how you you know how you slice the apple. But what we've seen is because there are these implicit trade-offs, instead of you know for lack of maybe as a like an example. Instead of making a slightly smaller triangle where you would like take away a little from each, what you've seen is people just kind of bringing in one of the sides, which is the, the uh, which is the decentralization aspect, and that trade off we don't think is you know what, what should be traded off. The reason for that problem is why Satoshi disappeared in the first place because you can't you have to keep taking away from one, but we're like slowly getting towards that where you don't have to to to, to take away from any of the three. And I think this is a, a big part of it. So now, so you guys launch, what does the core DAO look like now? Uh, are you guys, a, uh, how, how old are you? So the core DAO is a couple years old. We went, uh, we had our Genesis block in January of this year, then the airdrop was in February. So as a live chain, it's been around for a little over a quarter, but as an organization, it's been around for just around two years. And the community is very, very distributed. So I want to say we've got some large pockets in India, some in various parts of Asia, and then also a large contingent in Africa. And then we've seen more and more growth actually in LATAM as well. And again, we don't expect any of this to stop. What does it look like now? How can my listeners participate? What's going on? So you participate in, in several different ways. We say, you know, when it comes to researching any new chain, like start with, you know, the white paper, the blog post, just trying to understand like the nuts and bolts and make sure there's that philosophical alignment with anything you're going to be spending time on, whether that's writing a decentralized application or actually contributing open source code, anything of that nature, like start with the nuts and bolts and kind of make sure that you agree with you know the underlying, the underlying ethos. From there, there's all sorts of different ways to get involved, whether it's becoming a Discord moderator, someone that's a community member or a community leader, or you know, on the developer side. So many different avenues with which to get involved and continually kind of expanding opportunities there as you know the chain continues to mature. It's really unique. And you guys also did an airdrop? That's correct. There was an airdrop to just over 2 million different addresses, I believe. Were these like Bitcoin addresses or Ethereum addresses? So these were Ethereum addresses. Core is EVM compatible. So as long as you, again, have like a MetaMask or something set up, you could pretty easily uh, add a network. Do you think that these like ethics kind of drives or takes a big, you know, a big piece of, of, of our industry, like how we, how you guys run your companies? You rephrased the question. I'm not sure I totally caught that. We were talking about ethics and we we're talking about being distributed and we're talking about kind of the pillars of being what it means to be a Bitcoiner, at least to me. And what it means to be a Bitcoiner is to kind of follow those original Satoshi viewpoints. It's not just about equality. It's about making sure that you have good business ethics from the start. And you see like a lot of crypto companies follow that. Unfortunately, a lot of them are leaving the US now, which is really sad. But I always felt that there was like this thread, although we saw like a lot of newer companies like FTX and the other ones fall. There has been like a thread in in crypto and Bitcoin OG companies to always like maintain this like vision of what Satoshi felt. Totally. So like kind of harkening back a little bit to my, you know, my Coinbase days in the past, like it was the, the mission of the company was always to increase financial freedom in the world, right? Like very true to a lot of like the original kind of like Bitcoin ethos as well. And, and that really struck with, with me. And then I think we've 
you know, as as a project generally, like tried to have a very high amount of like uh, like philosophical alignment with the community. And we think that is important. Like you notice when I when I talk about how to get involved, it's like starting with under, you know, like going back to the nuts and bolts, understanding, you know, what what Cordao is, what it's trying to achieve, versus just, you know, trying to just jump in from day one. And I think again, like there's that initial like philosophical alignment that, that's so critical to participating in a project. Because not everything goes well, right? You have ups and downs. You'll have different challenges. No one knows what five years from now in the crypto space looks like. But it's that philosophical underpinning is what gets you through those difficult times. And again, as a longtime Bitcoiner like yourself, you know it, it hasn't been a smooth ride. But it's it's always that you know what's over the horizon that, that you know gets people excited. Yeah, you're right, Rich. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show today. Really appreciate it, Charlie. Great to meet you. I'm really excited that this podcast, The Charlie Shrem Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO, David Waxman, back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless, and that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates and following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence, and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, They're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are going to face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more. You guys are going to love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. If you're just joining us right now, we have Avril Dutte. He just came back from Bitcoin Prague and joining us from France. He's the general manager of Neutron. Avril, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, sure. It's my pleasure, actually. Thanks for having me. No, it really is mine because the way the world kind of still looks at our industry and what we're doing, we talk about de-siloing everything and bringing it all together and rebuilding this decentralized internet that has this beautiful user interface that we won't even know what's happening under the hood. But this is still like many years down the road. And it's still, we're still viewed as like a very fractured from a technology perspective. We're still figuring out how to even like make all blockchains not compatible in the sense, but have some sort of like standardization, right? Or in, in your world, you would prefer like every protocol out there to have like the right endpoints so you can connect them all together. But that's that's your thing. You're trying to figure out how to connect at least all projects within the Cosmos ecosystem. That's been kind of where you've been waving your flag. Yeah, definitely. You just mentioned the idea of a standard. And I think that like that's probably the, the most interesting thing about Cosmos, right? Whereby it has this pretty amazing standard which replicates what TCP IP did to the internet by essentially being, um, you know, stating that, hey, we don't exactly know how every blockchain and every future blockchain to, to be born is going to look like or work. But maybe we can do, you know, a standard that has the most lightweight specification possible to make communications between blockchains work. 
Um, so we only specify like transportation, ordering, authorization, and all of the rest we abstract away and we can build applications on, on top of this in the future to, to, to make additional functionality work, right? So th that's, that's in a nutshell what IBC is, right? It's a different sort of um, attempt at making a bridge that can actually work um, throughout the ecosystem. And it works for blockchains, it works for rollups and, um, and such. And so what, what we did at Neutron is basically try to take the standard and build applications on top of it that would help developers be able to actually you know, build businesses, build applications, build things that people can, can use, essentially. Where everything is going is this term called app chain, where instead of having like an application-specific blockchain that you're building on top of, it's almost like you're having your own train tracks that lead into the tracks of, of the rest of the world, if you will. How do you describe it? Yeah, I mean, like you did describe it pretty well. An app chain is an application-specific blockchain, e.g., you know, instead of having one platform on which multiple applications are deployed, you can have one platform that is designed, optimized for the needs of the application that it powers. And so that is a very powerful primitive in, in, in two ways, in terms of, you know, designing the stack that an application runs on optimally, but also in terms of like sovereignty, which has you know a lot of implications in Cosmos. But at the same time, it does pose a challenge, which is that if you're segregating everything to their own blockchain and you don't have a way to make them communicate, what you've created is essentially you know um, a number of segregated islands where people, money, ideas can't really flow from one to each other. And so that's why you know in in Cosmos there's this emphasis on both the Cosmos SDK, which allows you to build. App chains and general smart contract platforms uh, as well, but app chains and IBC, right? Those two things come together basically. It's the idea that you'll own your stack, but at the same time, you'll be able to interact, interoperate with everything else that, that's being built. How many developers do you think are out there developing on Cosmos? I'd be hard pressed to give you an yeah, exact number. I haven't looked in the numbers like recently, but it's definitely been growing. I think that's one of the things that gets me most excited about Cosmos is that you know it has pretty good fundamental tech. What it has struggled at is sort of like getting this this technology to market. But there's more and more developers, and a lot of them are actually coming to build applications rather than sort of like more fundamental parts of the of the stack. You ever think that it was that a lot of this is it, so we're we're building kind of linearly in a way that like so you had Bitcoin was the first, and then Ethereum, and then you had of course all the other ones in between the smaller one. But the, if you look at like major achievement projects, and you count Cosmos is one of them. Where we're all learning from from each other. You ever think that, like, if Cosmos was invented first, because it really Cosmos assumes that other chains exist in the ecosystem, but when Ethereum launched, there were no other chains, and it never assumed there will be other chains. So I wonder. So you know, and, and the philosophy of the builders really affects how things are built. So you ever wonder, like, how we build these things, learning from the mistakes of of the others. So to your first question, I do think, and this is not a, a learned opinion, but yeah, from, from, from the top of my head, I, I do believe that if we had launched the Cosmos Hub as the first blockchain and assuming that so like the hub minimalism philosophy had had been a thing at that time, I'm pretty sure we would have eventually reinvented like Ethereum and launched that as, as a chain that it, that exists because there are limitations to app chains, right? In terms of how they, they sell, they sell everything. And especially... The more immature the, bridge, the bridging technology is, the more potent the challenges to app chains are. Um, and so th that's one of the reasons why Cosmos is doing better now, because like these technologies to interoperate are doing much better. They're much more powerful. And so being an app chain is less of a trade-off now. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do think that we would have reinvented Ethereum. What's really exciting here is that you've been on this, this growth trajectory, growing out this interchain world. 
and you're, you're, you understand that I've been studying Cosmos also for a very long time, following it and other blockchains. And it seems like 2023, at least, there's been, well, 2022 gave us this huge, we saw a huge explosion in protocols and chains wanting to connect with each other. But we also saw a huge amount of like wormhole hacks and bridges and mechanisms in a decentralized way, or so you thought, could move one asset from one chain, you know, and have the same asset on another chain, but in a fully decentralized way that doesn't rely on like all these counterparties and stuff like that. And so you had this embracing and it was awesome, but everyone embraced it except for kind of like Bitcoiners. And I was, I was like banging my head on this, this whole last year on the show, talking about how we need to embrace this world and personally invested in, in multiple sidechain projects and, and different types of like on top of Bitcoin, figuring out a way to like, not just with lightning, but have a mechanism in which you could move assets. And I know that Bitcoin being a UTXO based blockchain and Ethereum and Cosmos and other ones being account based, there's like limitations to how things can be connected. I understand all that. You were just at Bitcoin Prague. You must be seeing more of like, especially with the ordinals world and stuff like that now, you must be seeing a much more embracing for that connection, right? I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, one good example in this regard is Sonny Agawal, the co-founder of Osmosis, yes. has this like very interesting thesis that he's sort of like working on like currently, which is that if you, like uh, Bitcoin has this massive liquidity, but is looking for an ecosystem where where all of that, you know, that that reserve asset, that like digital gold can be, you know, deployed. And then Cosmos is an ecosystem that's looking for liquidity and and, and such a reserve asset, basically. And so he's, you know, he's saying like, potentially we can bring the, the two ecosystems together and basically solve each other's problems. And there are projects working on... How would that work? You know, checkpointing Bitcoin and, and, and such. There, there's multiple ways to do it. One, there's a project working on, you know, bridging like Bitcoin into Cosmos and in a somewhat decentralized manner. I, I do believe that it relies like on a committee of validators as sort of the, the guardians of the bridge. So that has been in the works for a while. There's other projects who are essentially making the security of Bitcoin available to proof of stake chains in Cosmos ah. through, by checkpointing to Bit, like Bitcoin's blocks, basically. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a few projects working on this. There's also like stablecoin projects that are looking to back to make stable coins that are backed by Bitcoin in, in Cosmos. So, you know, there's a few sort of like attempts at bringing these uh, these two ecosystems together that I think are going to be interesting to watch over the next, let's say, year or two. What else makes Neutron special in your in your eyes? Well, I guess two things. In the short term, what makes it special is that it's the first chain that's entirely secured by another chain through replicated security. So, it you know, instead of having its own proof of stake engine, it sort of shares the one of the Cosmos Hub so that Atom and the validator set of the Cosmos Hub is lent to Neutron to validate its blocks in exchange for some revenue. That, that's the, the first thing. The second thing, which I think is more fundamental, is that it sort of, sort of flips the script of smart contract platforms. In general, smart contract platforms want everything to be within their ecosystem because that's how they build their network effects yeah. and that's how they drive activity. But Neutron is built different, I guess, in that because there's such a, an intense focus on like crushing interoperability, um, Neutron doesn't need to have all applications exist on its layer itself. It does benefit a lot from connecting to other projects, ensuring that they're successful and that the sort of like additional value that is created through this like financial diplomacy is, is shared between the projects. For developers, that sort of like means two things. The first one is traditionally in Cosmos, when you want to launch an application as a small contract, you would have to choose a market. E.g., yeah. you know, what's the total amount of liquidity and the number of users that are available in that chain? And a feature set, like, do I want privacy? Well, okay, there's a chain for that. 
Do I want like very fast block times? There is a chain for that. But you had to choose. You couldn't get it all, basically. But with Neutron, you can basically deploy through like a hub, a brain of your protocol that then connects to all of these other blockchains so that one, you can access the markets that exist on these other chains, whether they're app chains or general smart contract platforms. And two, you can leverage at least partially their, their feature set, right? So for example, let's say you have a DAO and you want to make sure that you can have private voting. Well, you can route some of their mechanisms through a private blockchain in order to anonymize these votes and benefit from this without having to sort of like rebuild your entire app on this platform. It's like when I was learning early coding, you can bring in functions from different places. It's like that, that early understanding that you don't have to rewrite certain types of modules yourself. You can like just import them was like mind-blowing as an early developer. You know, as a kid, it's kind of like what you're doing here. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a bit of that. I think like one of the things that has slowed down the ecosystem a lot is that basically for a pretty long time, if you wanted to do anything crushing, you, you had to come and basically rebuild the entire thing yourself. Oh. Like you, you would have this minimal transport layer, but then basically the application on top of it, you would have to rebuild. And so, you know, that's a lot of duplicate work, less standardization, more time to market, all of these things, right? And so by doing our best to essentially abstract this complexity away, not, not only from the users, but also from the developers themselves and bringing it into the infrastructure layer, we, we make it much easier to essentially leverage IBC to that's the fullest. That's huge. That's a huge difference. So like to summarize, it's you're giving people the ability to to write for one and be able to deploy on all, but not at the same time. And if you make an well at the same time, but if you make an update or a change, you don't have to go and rewrite all the code everywhere in, in a very exactly. primitive like instead of having to maintain like 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 I, the IBC network today is about fifty one blockchains. Fifty one. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, and it's growing actually. Um, so, like you know. Even if we forget about the fact that not all of these chains have smart contract capabilities, you know, if you had to go and deploy to each of these chains, like the, the maintenance work would be just like devastating. And so with, with Neutron, basically, the thing is that exactly as you said, you can deploy once and, and integrate with all of these chains, basically. Yeah, it's obviously on the technical layer, but sorry. No, I can build on like Near and Cosmos at the same time. Well, for Near, I'm not sure the IBC implementation is is there fully okay. yet. Um, I, I know that there are teams working on it. I think Composable Finance is working on on IBC to Polkadot and Near. Out of all 51, I chose the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, though. I mean, like, very, I replicated security. I think is very unique because what that does is you assign a value to security of a blockchain. So you're saying like just because this chain is secure and has uptime in and of itself means that we want to replicate that and that's value to us. That's very unique because it almost like creates, it, it pays miners or stakers in another way other than how they're being paid in that moment. Yeah, definitely. Th there are a few complexities around the sort of like different, like the, the, the differential in, in time, e.g. like there's a cost, like the cost starts very early on because you have to pay for additional infrastructure and the revenue kicks in later once the project that is being secured is, is successful. But beyond this, yes, I agree. It's a very powerful idea. And Cosmos Hub's sort of like eternal problem has been that it has pretty high inflation to maintain that security. And so as a result of this, it, you know, it takes some dilution as well. And so shoring up the atom economics sort of involve to the general consensus, like reducing that inflation. Now, you do need to you know, make sure that there's something else instead of that inflation to keep people engaged and to keep all of this at like, exactly. value staked, right? And so having consumer chains that generate revenue, basically replacing the inflation over time gradually so that there's no shift would allow the hub to become first a real yield sort yeah, of like product. Self-sustainable. Maintaining security. Yeah. 
That's a huge watershed moment when that happens. So thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show today. For sure. It was a pleasure. I had a conversation yesterday with this gentleman who, I guess, like 2023, here we are. And like the, the the basic idea of decentralization, people still don't understand. And he's like a, a trader at a big bank or something like that. And he was debating me for no other, there was no reason to debate. We're just I was just sitting at a pool party and he's like decided to pick on me and say crypto is stupid or whatever. And then you guys know I've been doing this since, since shit, 2010. But it was frustrating because I thought that a decade later, I wouldn't have to educate people other than on, you know, then when we can get into deep conversations like we do now, you and I together, the listeners, we get into these deep conversations about complicated subjects. But at least I know when you guys come to the table as listeners, there are things that you already understand. There are principles, there are conversations, there are topics that we go over year over year. It was a little bit disheartening that there were some people who still fundamentally didn't understand how these things work. But yet again, we'll sit here and manage a billion dollars of other people's money, especially in crypto or not crypto. I feel like if you're going to manage other people's money, you need to fully understand every market and everything, not from like a hostile point of view. We need to discuss, go through some of these like basic infrastructure questions. Today, we're joined by Dr. Ben Chang. Dr. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward uh, for me to join this show, right, to discuss more like uh, about uh, Web3 infrastructure. And, uh, you know, you mentioned some interesting ideas, uh, like uh, challenges. Yeah, I hope uh, I can help a Tell little bit. Tell me how you feel about that. I think for the decentralization, right, this kind of topic is sometimes from technology perspective, it's quite difficult to explain. And sometimes I also ask myself, right, why you need a Web3, right? This is, uh, it's not like uh, you, you need to do the decentralization. Is something you, you, from the business side, you really need that technology in specific case, and then you need, right? So I think in the past several years, I, I, I'm, I'm not joining like Web3 as early as you did, right? Like you joined in 2010. I only joined starting from the 2019, right? But I do go through uh, quite a lot of the like layer one growth and uh, some DeFi, uh, DeFi summer and NFT like hype, et cetera. I see some of the interesting cases happening in the decentralization, but I think we are still in the very early stage to try different cases right now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to discuss with you in more, you know, uh, in different categories. Yeah. You got, you started a company, Node Real, and um, what's very important about your company is that you provide node infrastructure for different Web3 projects that are launching in the space and need immediate decentralization. They need immediate nodes. They need the opportunity to, to deploy different blockchains and protocols. Why, why is this an actual need as it relates to blockchains? Why can't people just go on and deploy a blockchain on their own? Yeah, that's a good, good one. Thank you for, for uh, mentioning this one, right? Because uh, Norio is like one of the uh, infrastructure providers, which is quite similar as the Alchemy or Infura. A lot of people maybe know their name. And we also and Pocket provide... Network too. Yeah, of course. Yes, we have a lot of others, right? Uh, in 2019, right, I joined uh, the BNB chain as one of the uh, early participants or coordinators, right, to help to, to build that large scale ecosystem. And finally, the high performance uh, node service is very challenging. When I say the high performance means if the, if the active user is more than 1 million daily yeah. active user, if, uh, you know, transaction volume is more than like 1, uh, 10 million thousand transactions every day, the RPC or no service will be like a super challenging. 
So if you want to run yourself, it's very difficult. That's also why I find that opportunity. I, I set up this company uh, based on this kind of demands. And the good part is in 2022, right, we really see the big requirements for this one. Uh, frankly speaking, in the 2023, 20, uh, currently we are a little bit down market, right? Only like uh, 60 uh, layer one have more than 1 million daily active users right now, even like monthly active users. So I think that so far in current stage, maybe you do not need a like very high performance, no service right now. But I think when the mass adoption, right, and when the, you know, like power market is coming, this kind of service is must have. That's still a lot, though. You said there are 60 blockchains with over 1 million active users, monthly active users? Yes, only six right now. So actually, if you go to the next one, there's a, a, there's a report about that one, right? Like BNB Chains, Ethereum, Solana, Polygon, like uh, Optimism, right? Something like that. Uh, Abitron, right? I, I think that's the only several chains that really can reach 1 million monthly activities so far. Very few. I'm writing that down. Because that's a that's a huge that's a huge metric yeah. that not a lot of people don't realize we're still so early and so new. Yeah, I can share that. Uh, you know, after this, I can share that next report to you as well, right? So that's a holistic metrics there. That's also why uh, you ask this question, right? So it's not only for the performance, but also for the decentralization because network itself need a let's use the Ethereum, BNB chain, or like Solana, these kind of different blockchains, uh, you know, requirements, right? They need more nodes. Uh, to running for their network, uh, they they need a more RPC. To uh, uh, when I say the nodes like miner or validators, right? They need a more like uh, RPC service to make sure everyone can access their network as well. So with this kind of the like diverse uh, services, right? Di- diverse uh, supporters, right? To them, they can get a more like decentralization in terms of the provider uh, infrastructure running, uh, infrastructure hosting, right? and also like uh, just looking like this kind of the uh, diversities as well. This is super critical for the uh, blockchain decentralization as well. Yeah. You know, you say it's like super critical for blockchain decentralization, but going back to that conversation I had yesterday, why do blockchain projects actually need thousands of nodes to run at any given time? A lot of people don't understand that on, a, on the Bitcoin level, you're having these nodes simply maintain a ledger. But on a on a larger scale, when it comes to BNB and when it comes to a lot of these larger chains that offer smart contracts, what are node operators actually doing? Yeah. So the node operator, right? So uh, I think when we are talking about the node here, have a two type of nodes. One is for the like validator or miner, you participants for the consensus, which means make sure the blockchain get the final state, right? So this is this is quite important. Whether you have a smart contract or business a smart contract, when we talk about smart contract, that means the business logic need to be finalized, executed, and confirmed right, in the blockchain. And or you have a statement or ledger's statement, right? You need to finalize, like for example, blockchain, right? From for example, the Bitcoin does not have the smart contract, but you still need to maintain that state, right? From these, let's say you have a ledger, the ledger currently you have these, let's say you have one Bitcoin, later you have two Bitcoin. All of these data in the address need to maintain, right? So this is one of the nodes they should maintain that status and participate uh, in the consensus. This is quite important. And uh, for uh, some of the infrastructure provider also provide this one, right? They are typically for the uh, like uh, validator miners. And for us, we are majorly focusing on the RPC service. Uh, uh, we also named a node service. Uh, this kind of the services provide the accessing APIs, which means uh, 
if you want to access the Ethereum, if you want to access the Bitcoin or uh, uh, BNB chain or other chains, right? You need to have the RPC service connected. Uh, then your application can go through the RPC to access the blockchain. And the RPC actually is through some endpoints to connect to the uh, the validators, right? Or some of the blockchains directly. So that's the two different purposes for that one. And uh, why I think that for, for the decentralizing, both are super important for different blockchains because for the consensus, if you do not have a lot of the miner, a lot of the like validators, right? So it's uh, the whole network will not be stable. Which means the you know it, uh, let's say uh, there's a quite a critical issue for the 51 like an um, attack issue right if 51 validators are done the whole blockchain will be done right so if you can get a more yeah. yeah if you can get more validator more miners right which means we can guarantee this kind of the like blockchain always uh, always online there so this is one and secondly you also need to have enough like just imagine this is like a critical uh, highway right for the blockchain how do you access the, the this highway right you need to have a rpc service to connect this highway which is something like a small street to connect to that you also need to have enough small street to connect to these uh, or like uh, lanes right to connect to this highway otherwise uh, it will be get a like uh, you know uh, traffic jam so so you you will get a you know a lot of people cannot get get access to the blockchain right so all the all this part, I need to be make sure uh, get a decentralization as well. So that's why you see for typical blockchain as the Ethereum, um, BNB chain, uh, Solana, all of them have uh, so many different uh, um, different uh, uh, node service, right? In in both validator and yeah. uh, uh, RPC services as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because I remember when we were developing the early like Bitcoin RPC, and it was just a couple of different people that were trying to develop different implementations of it because there was really no, yeah. and there kind of was, but I mean, we had to write all of our, we had to write all of our own APIs to interface with Bitcoin in order to like just send Bitcoin. So yeah. the companies that need you are everyone. To give an understanding, when we open up our apps and we can interface with, you know, wh whether it's just in Coinbase or Cash App or Venmo or whatever app we're using to access a couple of coins or whether we're using you know, Huobi or Gate or one of these big exchanges that have, you know, thousands and thousands of, of, of coins and you have wallets that need to maintain coins and tokens and different protocols and smart contracts in real time. The projects themselves, this, this RPC mechanism allows for, like you said, like a decentralized highway, if you will, to connect in and out. But I have a question about that really quickly. Well, the, I'm going to ask you a question on final state. But so just I just want to finish up that thought. So when we open up our apps, and we're interfacing with these blockchains and we're depositing, we're withdrawing, we're sending a lot of times, we're using different applications to, in a decentralized way to send transactions or data. We're actually interfacing with a company like NodeReal, Infura, Alchemy, Pocket. There's so many different ones. But the question I had for you is, do blockchains, you said that we ha you, you have to give final state, but are blockchains ever in final state? I mean, there's no ever real final state if transactions are happening in real time. That's an interesting area, right? So actually, blockchain will have like a finality, right? Means uh, you know anything you, for example, let's say you we we have a like a token transfer, right, from one agent ledger to another ledger. We have a like a, execute some smart contract, which means uh, you may like uh, um, doing some DeFi protocol interact with DeFi protocol. Right? All of this introduce some states uh, change, right? So uh, usually you need to go through the, for example, you go through the wallet interact uh, with the RPC service, uh, and such as from us, right? For example, if you go to the MetaMask, usually they connect with Infura, right? 
And of course, you can configure with our service to connect with the blockchain. And this transaction, oh, very cool. Yeah, all of this blockchain information will be uh, finally mined or packaged by the miners, right? They do have they do have to agree with different uh, uh, finalities, right? For example, using the PUW, they have the PUW approach, right? PUS a PUS approach there. But typically, they have a different uh, uh, approach to get the finality. And uh, using that finality, right, they get that uh, approach, uh, something like, okay, they confirm that this uh, transaction or confirm that this state, right? So that's a typical way. Uh, whether these kind of the, you know, uh, transaction or like consensus, right, get a like final state, that's a little bit tricky because we do see some different blockchain. They have half fork, right? Because some cases may be really happening. Yeah. And eventually got a half fork there, right? Even like uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, all of them have these kind of issues before. But uh, that's something like uh, the network itself typically consider this kind of design. And for our infrastructure provider, we try to make sure we can meet this kind of criteria there. Yeah. That's really, really interesting that you said that. I want to change subjects as we're moving on to, to gaming. But before we do, over time, we've always been operating on top of blockchains on like the main layer or the main chain, if you will. But lately, over the last year or so, the biggest thing have been roll-ups. And also, you have um, different types of scaling solutions that allow for, for like multiple layers without realizing that you're actually using those layers. And at the same time, gaming and crypto has done really well, too. You guys launched an optimistic roll-up that allows for, for gaming to enhance. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, actually, you know, starting from like uh, uh, last year, right? So Luab, uh, especially Optimus Luab, becoming one of the mature solutions for the uh, scalability, uh, not only for the Ethereum, but also for the other blockchains as well, right? If you join the, this year's ECC, one of the hot topics may be like uh, layer two, right? Either uh, Optimus Luab or uh, ZK Luab, right? Starting from last year, we really find this kind of tuning. And that's also why we uh, kick off the like uh, layer two as a service, uh, which means Luab as a service, right? Especially based on the OP stack solution, because OP stack from the optimism. And uh, uh, this solution is really yeah, just imagine, right? And you can think about it, it's something like AWS service or Google service as a cloud service there, right? So if you want to deploy your own computer or deploy your own storage, so you do not need to, you know, worry about, uh, uh, you need to set up the, uh, you know, hardware, set up the computer, right? Database, no need, right? You just a one click in the AWS, you can set up this one. Or, or, or Google Cloud, right? you can set up this one. We want to provide this similar Web3 AWS or uh, Google Cloud service there. So that's why we have this one. And why we have this one is not like just uh, we, we, we like, uh, um, think without any use cases, right? We do have two use cases, two customer regionalize. They, they have a very totally different, uh, you know, uh, market segment, right? One is from Web2, uh, because when, when, when is the Web2 game studio, uh, Nameable, which is one of the largest uh, game studio in South Korea. They do have a lot of the games. They also have some Web3 games experience. Uh, they have a lot of games in the Web2. Uh, and uh, they, they want to pilot some of the Web3, right? So then they reach us. So another one is also like uh, Cocos Engine, right? Which is one of the largest uh, 2D game engine, and especially very popular in Asia Pacific, right? They also try to see how can they provide one-stop layer two. Uh, sorry, when they come into us, they do not decide they want to go to layer two, right? They want to have a way to empower their developers and uh, especially empower their Web2 developers to develop a Web3 applications much, much easily. And uh, for example, when they say much easily is uh, uh, they do not need to understand the complex blockchain technology. 
They do not need to worry about uh, so complex like private key management, uh, randomness, right, etc. Right. So because for the game, you have to consider. So based on this kind of discussion, we grew up the Luap solution, Luap as service solution, starting from the last year. And this year, we really built two chains already. And uh, one is already in Manit, another one is in the testnet right now. Yeah, that's uh, something like we are uh, trying to try to like build on right now. Is the market mature enough now where you are? Because this is really cool. Like what you're, the, the products that you're offering as services is like, like not just you said with layer one basic infrastructure, it's layer two, it's multiple types of optimistic rollups. It's, it's literally, there's no reason for any company or project that wants to, to be in Web3 that they can't. But are you realizing that now you're, still, you're having to go out to convince people? Or is there enough demand coming in where you guys are just, you know, you're growing, you're building, and there's enough businesses out there and projects that want to use the service? That's a that's a very fair question to be honest. I think uh, last year, right, is still in the very good. Uh, I would say it's still not in the deep bear, right? So a lot of lot of projects they still have a very like uh, I would say the uh, cash flow or some of the you know uh, active users still very good, and that's why they want to build their own layer two, right? However, frankly speaking, this year I would say you know and I, I can see that right. So a lot of them maybe want to hold on this kind of rubber so because the cost is still quite a lot, and that's also why in the last last month when I go to the pub, go public into the some of the conference, I also share that right. Why and when you should have this kind of the rubber service? You want to leverage that? It's because it's when you really have an if your application right. Let's say you have a a game right in your hand, right? Either you are from the Web two or you are native Web three game. If you are targeting to get a two hundred more, a two hundred k, a two hundred thousand daily active user, you have this kind of confidence. You should try, because uh, if you do not have this confidence, right, it, which means you do not uh, have this kind of gas fee issue, you do not have this potential scalability issue. Uh, you can leverage the existing, right? Uh, either go to the optimism, either go to the BME chain, OPBNB or Combo, all of the our partner, right? So, uh, like uh, as a layer two, right? You go to the base, uh, Coinbase base, right? All yeah. of them are, are, are reasonable. However, when you have such kind of the large user base, right? You need to consider that, and uh, this is super critical because uh, they, that can uh, get potential uh, like benefits between business side and also technology side. Yeah, there's really no reason that. That all the excuses that people used to have, uh, one of the biggest ones, like you said, is is you can now now you can have gasless transactions. Remember the days where you have to hold Ethereum or some block or some you know token in order to send another one, but now projects can do it. I know even USDC is working on mechanisms to do it. You know, uh, cross chain too. But that's that's really cool. So there's really there's no excuse there's no reason to not use this technology especially if, especially if you have active users because what you're doing is whatever industry you're in you're allowing like a de-siloing of information and data to like and your users to to go places and other users to come to you too and i think that's the pivotal point is now the businesses and the companies that embrace this now in this year are going to have that huge leg up before 2025 and 2024 everyone realizes Totally agree. Totally agree. I think, uh, and the reason also, you know, why the, uh, this year is super, actually, you know, it's perfect timing because it, the last week we also published one article, a blog, right, in our website about uh, layer two for, for the gaming, right? It's not uh, for the gaming purpose. 
And the reason we want to highlight that one is because, uh, as you described, right, so um, try to describe potential or existing practices, right? So, uh, so for example, recently, uh, it, it actually, it's not recently, right? In the past uh, several years, um, like Immutable X, right? And this is very game-focused yeah. delay too, right? So they are very, very successful. And uh, and uh, what's the next for the game chains, right? I think uh, X Infinity also did, right? Because they have a super large user base there. Wax, WX, a lot, pe- lot of people maybe do not aware of that, which is uh, one of the largest chain with the game right now. So we just published that. Quite surprised for everyone, right? Although the game... Wax is an OG. It's been around a long time. Exactly. Why? It's because they have the user base there. They have their own user base. They intensively customize a lot of infrastructure for the game. So give a wing symbol. I, we, I just talked about the private key management, right? So this year, why I say layer two is really is because even like Vitalik in the ECC keynote, he mentioned the account abstraction. And previously, maybe account yeah. abstraction is very difficult. Um, you know, uh, it's it, the, the private key is very difficult to manage, right? With account abstraction, this kind of barrier will be gone. And uh, but for the VAX or other blockchain, they already for the game specific blockchain, they already spend a huge efforts to try to minimize these barriers for the mass adoption there. So I think that's something like when this kind of the uh, like uh, customer enterprise uh, customers, right? They have this kind of the potential high demanding on the use basis side, they can consider that. That's also why uh, we have these kind of two cases, right? Really, you know, in our website, we also have a lot of this kind of sharing about the two cases. Looking forward to to get the, get the collaboration for this part, to be honest. The account abstraction is going to be, is one of the next mature solutions, scaling solutions. At least it'll change the, in, the way we as users interface with blockchains and how we interface with them going forward forever. Yeah. But how? I mean, from a user perspective, how will it be different? You said you said the way even business, you know, the wallets handle public keys. Yeah. So there are. Yeah, that's a good one. I really want to promote this one again. Uh, you know, but but actually, you know, like Vitalik presentation may be the best one, right? But simply enough is they support two major things. One is they introduce the smart contract, a smart wallet, which means you do not need to manage your private. You, you you can using leverage the traditional social login to do the login, right? Instead, uh, uh, to to access your uh, wallet, instead of manage your private key, right? So when I say social login means, uh, uh, for example, you can using your Google accounts, your uh, Twitter account to manage your private key. They have some like a smart contract to uh, link these kind of relationships there. So then you do not need to worry about you lost your private key, right? You lost your like numeric. Right, this is very dangerous one, right? With that, so you can recover your private key, right? So this is something like a very how, well- How? Way. How does it work in a decentralized way? So so this is like, you can think about uh, in the, they convert this uh, uh, traditional private key as a smart contract, which means going forward, uh, everything is intact with the smart contract. You can imagine in a smart contract that you have, a, let's keep it simple, right? So you have your own, like, uh, let's say, you know, Charlie, you have a one uh, address, right? As a smart contract uh, address there. And in this smart contract, you have two um, like intact uh, owner keys, two owner keys. One is you yourself, another one is your wife, right? If your key is lost, you can use your wife's key to recover that, right? This kind of way. But of course, when you, these two keys, how do they manage through these smart contracts? They have a lot of the technology to combine that or mingle that, right? Very interesting. Yeah, so this is the way. So you can have like account recovery. Yeah, so that's the something, right? Another one is also quite interesting, account abstraction. You also mentioned that gas list before, right? So it, it can introduce gas list solution as well because they've introduced the pay master, 
which means the the project uh, because traditionally in the game, right? Let's use the game as example. Usually, the game player do not need to pay a lot of the fees to participate or play the game. That should be the gameplays, yeah. right? Uh, why they need to pay the gas is because of the game, you know, tra- uh, play to earn this. This uh, I, I personally feel that's not sustainable business model. But if we introduce gasless solution, which means the game itself, we are considering more from the game purpose, right? Especially for fun, for like attract more games, right? So I think uh, so, like account abstraction introduced this key uh, key features there. We worked with our partner, especially in the layer two uh, solutions right now, or make sure it's building. Right? Everyone, you know, when you leverage our layer two service, you will get this building account abstraction there. Yeah, so that's something like, uh, I believe the game infrastructure will typically, especially for the game builder, right? They will like this kind of solution quite a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and teaching me. I just want to ask you, you mentioned Vitalik, and I'm, I'm sad I missed ECC this year. Uh, everyone, a couple of my guests and friends were there, and it looked like it was really fun this week. And you talk about Vitalik getting, you know, Vitalik getting on stage once a year and talking about the mature scaling options is equivalent to like when Steve Jobs would get on stage and announce the iPhone or something like that. But as the years went on, the announcements of Steve Jobs at Apple weren't as popular as the first ones are. How is Vitalik and Ethereum able to maintain, in your view, kind of like that dominance? How has Ethereum kind of roared back into dominance, especially when you have so many other chains that are doing things better than and faster than Ethereum? Is it just because they have diehard users? That's also maybe the reason, right? Different uh, infrastructure provider focus on different areas. I think for us, we are quite focusing quite a lot for the EVM compatible chain. And uh, the reason we focus on that, also, also like uh, answer your question directly, is because they are the, maybe the only ecosystem, Ethereum ecosystem plus layer one, layer two, layer three right now, right? Maybe the only ecosystem really validated and approved using the real case, uh, real like, uh, you know, end-to-end case right now, right? So given one example, uh, everyone talk about the application chain. Uh, I think uh, Polkadot, uh, Cosmos, uh, they mentioned this application chain several years, right? Even like when Polkadot coming, right? Uh, initiated, they want yeah. to have this kind of application chain. But now, you know, Ethereum have a layer two, right? Layer two really triggered this kind of application chain. And also like uh, layer three, right? To even minimize this, this uh, collaboration or composition between different uh, uh, layer twos right now. So I think... Uh, why they have this one is because they are not only have the fundamental infrastructure ready, but also have a lot of the use case built on that one right now. And they are the maybe the only chain, that's my personal opinion right now, right, to prove holistically from this mass adoption perspective, from the infrastructure side, from the uh, middleware side, from the application side. So given one example, as I said, the account management, right, as a private key management. So it's a little bit slow. I know it's very slow because this one is mentioned more than like uh, three or five years, to be honest. But finally, they get it. What is layer three? Layer three, okay, we, we need to have another more time, right, to explain that. <laughs> layer three means, uh, <laughs> I know. yeah. So given one example, right? So actually, this is maybe also something we will try to do uh, to support uh, becoming our core business as well. So layer two still need to leverage layer one to get the final, to, to confirm the final state. Their security is maintained. The layer two security is maintained or make sure by the layer one. I, I don't know whether you can understand this part or not, right? So which means the, uh, because layer one, layer two typically uh, leverage the fraud proof or ZK proof to validate their state, right? For example, in the layer two, you have a token transfer from, you know, 
from Charlie, uh, from let, let's say from Ben to Charlie, right? So this kind of information cannot just confirm in the layer two network. It has to be proved in the layer one because layer one have much more validators, much more like yeah. decentralization. But it happens later. Two. Yes. Layer two can happen now and then it can settle, you know, like you said, on the final state a little bit later. Yes, they have to prove that one. Usually they will have a batch aggregation for the layer two for all of their transactions. Let's say they have like, uh, you know, 100 block block happened in the uh, layer two, right? Then they merge, they put all of this data into the layer one. They confirm that. That's why. However, even for do this kind of layer, uh, confirm a uh, layer two's data confirming the layer one is still too expensive. That's why layer one introduced, like Ethereum introduced the uh, uh, 4844, right? For the uh, thing sharding there to have a data partitioning. However, even for the data partitioning, they are still too expensive. So, and also decentralization for the layer two is a concern, right? There's a lot of the layer two there. How can you make sure the layer two itself also secured? That's why, you know, for the optimism, they introduced the super chain. And uh, Arbitrum introduced the uh, uh, Arbitrum Orbit, right? Then the layer three status can be confirmed by layer two. And layer two will package all of their status into the layer one. So that's different ideas there. But ideally, it's just... Uh, I don't understand. Yeah. How does it make? How does layer three make it less expensive? Because, you know, they will, they will get a more... You just imagine, right? So uh, more people using the data into the layer one. Uh, more people will share the cost in the layer two. So layer two, the cost will be shared finally accumulated into the layer one, ah. right? Because lay So instead yeah. of... No, sorry, keep yeah, going. Just, just imagine, all the layer two, if you want to confirm the layer two data, you have to pay Ethereum to confirm that. That's the gas you need to you need to pay. Yes. But uh, when you get more people to share that, right, in the... Of course, layer two can share this kind of gas, right? You can get a layer three to share this as well. It's not just for the gas, um, but also for the, you know, security purpose. They have a... Very no, it's security yeah. and speed. Yeah, yeah, it's speed, right? And also security. Have so many oh, different wow, that's uh, really you cool. know, ideas for the layer three and layer two right now. Absolutely, worth to have a more discussion. Yeah, can you have like a blockchain that's dedicated to only to acting as layer threes for all layer twos because layer twos are inherently insecure? No, I think the layer two, layer three has to depend on the layer two to make sure layer three is self secure. Okay. Layer two has to depend on the layer one. So this is something like, uh, uh, you know, this kind of the uh, trees there, right? Without this whole tree, layer two, layer three cannot be survived. Stay tuned to next week's episode where we discuss the fourth <laughs> layer. Yeah, but this is just <laughs> like a very early stage, right? I, I personally think, uh, you know, considering the current blockchain, uh, they have a data shun, uh, bank sharding, right? Have a lot of other things happening, right? So I think uh, uh, the layer three is still too early, uh, my personal opinion. And before we get more like uh, fundamental layer two, right? And uh, we need to make sure the layer two is ready or Luapa service is ready. That's why the real we are trying to focus on that, right? For our customer, yeah. Amazing. I I had to actually like pause during a lot of the a lot of times during the show and and write down things you said because things I want to research later or or understand a little bit better. But thank you so much for taking the time this evening and coming on the show. Brilliant. Your company's no real. We're going to have everything in the show notes and all the information and all the links and everything. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I think I really like these kind of questions, right? Hopefully, you know, we can have uh, discuss more. I personally believe uh, mass adoption will come, uh, although we are in the like challenger period. 
but we do uh, looking forward to work with different partners right to make sure that we can provide a very solid and scalable infrastructure here yeah thanks for your, thanks for your uh, inviting me to join your show of course i'll really talk to you it. soon and that's a wrap on our journey of rediscovering the value of Bitcoin and crypto. We've heard from Rich, Avril, and Dr. Ben Chang, each shedding light on how Bitcoin and crypto continue to reshape our world, from decentralization to the democratization of smart contracts and the challenges of onboarding businesses into Web3. We've explored the many focuses of this revolution. As we navigate the ever-evolving landscape of Bitcoin and crypto, please leave me a review, subscribe, and let's remember the core values that underpin this revolution. Despite market fluctuations in the noise, the true value of Bitcoin and crypto remains potent. Not just about price or hype, but the transformative potential to redefine value, foster innovation, and create more inclusive and equitable digital future. Thank you for joining us on this journey of rediscovery. What an epic episode. Until next week, we're already having fun putting together next week's episode. But keep exploring, keep questioning my friends and family. I am Charlie Shrem, and most importantly, keep believing in the unstoppable momentum of Bitcoin and crypto. <laughs>